You're listening to audio from Risen Life Fellowship. If you'd like to learn more about our church or donate to this ministry, please visit risenlifefellowship.com. Amen. Thank you guys for that worship. Good morning to you. Thank you. Thank you, Suzanne. I appreciate that. It's been a great last couple of weeks to take a little bit of a break from teaching and learn from David and Stephen. And I'm so thankful for those guys and their faithfulness. But it's good to be back this morning. Uh, teaching and opening the word with you again. Turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 2. And as you're turning, let me say happy Father's Day to all of our fathers out here uh, listening this morning. And We got a couple of fathers with kids on the way, and that's really exciting, right? That's, that's very exciting, and uh, what a sweet and exciting time that is. Um, And then we're blessed with some fathers that have been doing it for a while and and doing it faithfully and uh, leading their children in the Lord uh, for a long time. And and we're thankful for you this morning. Um, Then we just have a bunch of other men who who perhaps will be fathers someday. And uh, I'm so thankful for the fathers that that they will be. You know, we've been blessed in this church to have great men, haven't we? No, I mean, we have great women, but, you know, I'm focusing on the men right now, and, and they're, we have some, some wonderful, faithful, uh, Christ-honoring men, and so I couldn't be more proud of, of that with, with this church. Um, it's also wonderful to see the new Tipton family this morning, amen? So, Lucas and, and Tracy, and uh, we're excited for them with their new marriage entering this new covenant before the Lord. And we just pray the Lord's blessings on you guys and uh, as you will um, serve him with your marriage and, and be on his mission uh, in your marriage. We just, we just pray that the Lord will bless you in every way. And so we're excited to have you guys back this morning. Um, okay, it's also VBS week. VBS week, I'm excited. Uh, I think uh, we ought to give a hand to Paula for putting all this together, right? I mean, many people have many people have helped. Of course, you know, there's been a lot of a lot of help, but Paula, you've you've really made it all come together, and we thank you for that. And we're excited about what God's going to do this week. Um, almost 20 kids. It sounds like that's that's really exciting to me. Um, and uh, what an opportunity we have this week. Amen. Uh, so, uh, praise God for that. Um, okay, now I think let's turn to Ecclesiastes. And uh, the title of our sermon this morning uh, will be A Glimpse of Purpose. A Glimpse of Purpose. If, if you've been with us the past three weeks of we, as we've opened this study, you've seen that Ecclesiastes is a, is a very heavy book, isn't it? Have you guys noticed that, or just me? Okay, yeah, it's it's heavy, right? It's a it's a heavy book. We've we've entitled our series "The Pursuit of Purpose," the pursuit of purpose, and we certainly tried to bring some purpose through these first three 
sermons. Uh, but much of the good news that we've been able to bring, uh, we've gotten to by, by going outside of Ecclesiastes, right, and, and reading some other passages uh, in, in context uh, to bring some of that, that good news that, that Ecclesiastes is pointing to but just hasn't quite gotten there uh, yet. Um, we've seen a lot of uh, this is meaningless, Right, and, and, th- and this thing is vanity, and oh, this thing, it will not fulfill you. We've seen a lot of that. But this morning, for the first time in the text itself, uh, we're going to get a glimpse of, of this purpose that we've uh, been pursuing. Um, but I warn you that it's going to take a little bit of time to develop even, even this morning. It's going to take some time to get there. But when we do, I think that, I think that we'll find beauty and we'll find, uh, we'll find much freedom. So I'm going to ask you to stand with me. I'm going to raise this just a little bit. Not because I'm tall, but because it seems like the older I get, the less I can see my notes down here. So uh, I'm just going to have it right up top here. All right, Ecclesiastes chapter 2. And we're going to start in verse 12 and read through the end of the chapter. Then I turned myself to consider wisdom and madness and folly. For what can the man do who succeeds the king? Only that what is already only that only what he has already done. Then I saw that wisdom excels folly, as light excels darkness. The wise man's eyes are in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. Yet I myself I myself perceive that the same event happens to them all. So I said in my heart, as it happens to the fool, it also happens to me, and why was I then more wise? Then I said in my heart, this also is vanity. For there's no more remembrance of the wise than of the fool forever. Since all that now is will be forgotten in the days to come. And how does a wise man die as the fool? Therefore I hated life. Because the work that was done under the sun was distressing to me. For all is vanity and grasping for the wind. Then I hated all my labor in which I had toiled under the sun. Because I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. Yet he will rule over all my labor in which I toiled and in which I have shown myself wise under the sun. This also is vanity. Therefore, I turned my heart and despaired of all the labor in which I had toiled under the sun. For there is a man whose labor is with wisdom, knowledge, and skill. Yet he must leave his heritage to a man who has not labored for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. For what has man for all his labor and for the striving of his heart with, with which he has toiled under the sun? For all his days are sorrowful. And his work burdens him. Even in the night, his heart takes no rest. This also is vanity. Nothing is better for a man than that he should eat and drink, and that his soul should enjoy good in his labor. This also, I saw, was from the hand of God. For who can eat and who can have enjoyment more than I? For God gives wisdom and knowledge and joy to a man who is good in his sight, But to the sinner he gives the work of gathering 
and collecting that he may give to him who is good before God. This also is vanity and grasping for the wind. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this morning. God, I, uh, I thank you for this church family. God, I thank you for your word. Um, what a blessing it is to open uh, the word, Lord, with, uh, with these people this morning. And I pray that as we do that, you'd be glorified. Uh, God, that, that your message would be heard. Uh, Lord, that not my opinions, they're not my opinions that matter, Lord. Let that be left at home this morning, Father. We want your word, God. We want your message this morning. Just speak through me, Father, I pray. God, remove uh, any distractions that might be in this place. Uh, Lord, we're so easily distracted. Uh, Lord, remove the distractions this morning. Help us to focus on what you'd have us learn this morning. God, we thank you for Jesus. Uh, we thank you for the cross, for taking the wrath that we deserve. And we give you praise and honor and glory for that. And we ask that you'd be, uh, you'd be honored by, by what goes on here the rest of this morning. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you can have a seat. Well, hopefully, uh, by the end of the text here, you saw where we're going with this message. But it starts out. Uh, with the same gloomy, depressing uh, tone that, we, that we've seen up to this point in this book. And that's going to get us started with our first point this morning, which is the great equalizer. The great equalizer. Remember with me that the narrator in this book um, is the great King Solomon. right? He, he may have uh, written the book himself near the end of his life, uh, but if he didn't write it, it's quite evident that the author wants us to see the book from the perspective of Solomon. That, that part is, is definitely obvious to us. And so far, uh, Solomon has been running an experiment that he told us he was going to run in chapter 1. And he's running this experiment of, of, of where to find true purpose in life. Where do I find meaning? Where do I find an anchor for my soul uh, where do I find something that actually lasts, that I can hold on to, uh, that, that will give me some sense of, of hope and not just despair and, and vanity? And we've painted this picture of a man climbing up uh, these different hills, these different mountains, uh, looking for that purpose. Uh, so far, David, a couple of weeks ago, took us up the mountain of, of worldly wisdom and, and knowledge uh, now, Solomon was the wisest man to ever live, according to Scripture, right? Other than the Lord Jesus Christ himself, of course. He had more knowledge than anyone. World-renowned knowledge. And to put this into terms that maybe uh, we can understand better today, Solomon had the bachelor's degree. He had the, the master's degree. He had the doctorate degree. He had the other doctorate degree. He had the other doctorate degree. He had honorary doctorates from other people recognizing his knowledge. Kings and queens from all over the earth would come and hear, just to hear Solomon talk. Isn't that amazing? Just to hear his great wisdom. Whatever wisdom or knowledge we think we have this morning, well, Solomon had more. 
And, and yet his conclusion is that the pursuit of purpose in knowledge and in wisdom is complete vanity. Hevel, that's that word that, that gets translated vanity or, or meaninglessness. Meaningless. And so he's taken us up that mountain and he's shown us that, that purpose is just not there. It's not there. Then last week, Stephen took us up another mountain, the mountain of pleasure. Right? Uh, or, or what Solomon calls folly here. He also uses that term. And along the way, we found that Solomon explored pleasure to a greater extent than, than we could even imagine. Uh, certainly that we've experienced ourselves. He, he used pleasure to distract himself from, from life's uh, biggest questions. He tried to, at least. That's something that we've become uh, pros at in today's society. As Stephen pointed out last week, we're really good at distraction, aren't we? Really good at finding things to distract us. Verse 10 of chapter 2 says that whatever his eyes desired, he did not keep from them. He had it all, all the possessions. He had an estimated net worth in today's money of $2.2 trillion. Man, that's unfathomable. He, he could afford anything, and he did. If his eyes wanted it, he, he got it. He also had all the sexual pleasure his heart uh, desired. A thousand wives and concubines. He had all the power that we could imagine. 30,000 people working for him. He threw the biggest parties that we could imagine. He had the best food and drink and entertainment that we can imagine. He had building projects just for his pleasure that we cannot even imagine. He had it all. And he gets to the top of that mountain. And he says again, it's just vanity up here. It's just meaninglessness up here. It's just grasping after the wind. There were times that I looked at what my heart wanted and I saw that there must be, it must be there. There must be purpose there. But he says when I actually went to grasp it, I, I found joy for a minute. And then it was gone. It's like there was nothing. It was like smoke. Gone in an instant. No pleasure lasted. No pleasure brought meaning. And as Solomon opens our section this morning that we just read, he's reviewing this experiment. That he's been taking us through. And he's comparing the two methods here. Living with wisdom. And, and living in complete folly. Just meeting every single desire. That he had. He says in verse 12. That he, he turned himself to consider wisdom. And madness and folly. But what can the man do who succeeds the king? That verse is a little bit hard to, um, to translate. But most commentators think it means this. I've done it all on both sides of the equation. I've run the educational experiment to the full. I've run the pleasure experiment to the full. I've done it all. And it would be ridiculous to the one who comes after me to try to rerun these experiments. To try to do something that I have not already done because I've done everything. I've gone up each of these mountains and explored them as much as you possibly could. What else can you do that I haven't done? 
think that's what Solomon's saying here. What is the man who follows me to do? What else can you do that he hasn't done? And yet, we still try to run our own experiments, right? You know, we, we can study this this morning and, and, and in the weeks to come and the weeks before, uh, but will we learn from this? It's one thing to study, it's another thing to learn, right? Or will we go out of here and say to ourselves, well, you know, maybe there's something that Solomon missed. I mean, this is 3,000 years later. Maybe he didn't know, you know? Maybe he, he missed something. I think the Holy Spirit says to us this morning, don't be so arrogant and foolish. Purpose is not there. It's not in either of those two mountains that we've looked at. So Solomon in verse 13 begins to give us the results of his exploits. He says first that that wisdom is better than folly. That's his first conclusion here. As light is better than darkness. He goes on to explain that at least with wisdom, you can anticipate some things. And you've got your eyes in you. And you can avoid some of the, the consequences of your choices, perhaps. Maybe you'll avoid some of the destructive results of living a totally hedonistic, foolish lifestyle. Wisdom is better in that sense. You can see where you're going. The fool is just blind. And wisdom and knowledge, they have some earthly benefit. They really do. You're likely to have more earthly respect and success with wisdom. You're likely to live longer, right? If you're not just walking around life foolishly. You're likely to avoid dying in a ridiculous manner. That's one of my greatest fears. I don't want to die stupid, you know. I don't want my last words to be, watch this. You know, some of you are like, man, that, what, why not? That's what I do. <laughs> Matt holds laughing heavily over there, I see. <laughs> Forest up in, the, up in the sound booth, jumping off cliffs. And I'm like, man, I just don't want to die stupid. Have fun, Forrest. I'll stay here. He says wisdom is better than folly. However, verse 14 brings in this, this great equalizer. He says, yet I perceive that the same event happens to them all. And what is that same event? You die, yeah. Death. He goes on to explain that as it happens to the fool, so it will happen to me, no matter how wise I am. And what was all my wisdom for? There's no more remembrance of the wise than of the fool forever. Everything will just be forgotten. And then he says, how does a wise man die? As the fool. He's saying that wisdom may have some earthly benefit, but it can't stop the ultimate fate of every single one of us. Death. You may be wise and rich and respected and really important on this earth, but you will die and be put in a box underground, just like the town drunk. In the very same way. It's vanity. 
it's a sobering thought, one that we work hard to stay distracted from, again. But one that I would suggest that rather than avoid thinking about it, we think about it more. And it might actually change your life. It might actually change the way we live. We are all going to die. No matter what we've accomplished. No matter what we know. No matter how fun we thought the ride was to get there. From an earthly standpoint, death puts us all on equal playing ground, right? And we can't escape it. Maybe we'd be wiser to let that thought affect the way we live now rather than just trying to avoid it, staying distracted to avoid these difficult questions. Solomon says in verse 17, I hated life. That's a, that's a big statement. I hated life. The wisest, richest man in the world says, I hated it. I, I hated the, the very things that I thought would bring me joy. Because it turns out that it was all vanity. It was all just, just grasping for wind. There was nothing fulfilling there. Nothing lasted. His messages haven't gotten better yet, have they? From the great equalizer, we'll go to our second point. The great grind. The great grind. He's looked at wisdom. He's looked at pleasure and, and folly. Maybe now you're thinking, well, maybe I can work my way into something that matters. As something that lasts, something that fulfills. Maybe I can work really hard and, and, and I'll get it. This is what I like to call the American dream. What we like to call as Americans. I didn't come up with that. The American dream, I, I, I call it here the great grind because it goes with my points well. So let's climb this mountain now of, of labor, of, of work, of career, of legacy, Accomplishment through working. Let's let Solomon take us up there. Now this was written perhaps 3,000 years ago. That's a long, long time ago. But I want you to notice how relevant this section, verses 12 through 17, is for us in America in 2022. Solomon starts by saying in, in verse 18, that he hated all of his labor in which he had toiled under the sun. And just as a refresher, when we see that, that phrase, under the sun, we're talking about activity apart from God. Activity without considering eternity. It's, it's just a here and now. He says, I hated my work under the sun. Growing up in this country, I think we've, we've all felt this pull and this pressure to really make something of ourselves in our profession, in our career. It defines who we are in a sense here, or at least it seems it does. Did you all feel that? Anybody ever felt that pressure in America? No one, seriously. 
Okay, I see, I see, see no hands, but I see lots of heads. Yeah, I think we all have. We feel this pressure to make something of ourselves and our profession. It's the American dream. You know, you know, find what you were made to do. What are you, what are you wired to do, right? How many times have you heard that? What, what are you made for? Or I'm, I'm made for this. I'm made for that. Find what you were made to do. Change the world and be happy and get the, the white picket fence and the, and the perfect family and the stuff that you've always wanted. It can happen to you. Just grind it out, man. Just grind. You can do anything if you set your mind to it. You ever heard that one? It's not true. You can't do anything. You can do a lot of things. You can't do anything. Well, yeah, we've heard that one a lot. And so we work, and we work, and we work. Man, do we work. Do you work? Yeah. Are you tired today? Because <laughs> you've been working all week. Working at something and then coming home and working at some more. Yeah, we work and work and work. And we work so we can get that perfect job that we've always dreamed of. And we put everything else on the back burner. Uh, the marriage, the kids, relationship with God, church, family. Back burner. I got to grind. I've got to get that perfect career, that, that, that thing that, that makes me tick. And when I get it, then you're going to see. Then you're going to see that it was all worth it. Everything will be different. That will fulfill, fulfill me. Is this hitting home with anybody? Lucas just got out of dental school. Man, you've been on the grind, haven't you? Solomon says, no. It won't. It won't fulfill, actually. We're going to come back to verses 18 through 21. But look with me at verse 22. What has a man for all his labor and striving of his heart with which he has toiled under the sun. For all his days are sorrowful, and his work burdensome. Even in the night his heart takes no rest. This also is vanity. You ever felt like this? Oh, this was pharmacy school for me. I'm sure this was dental school for Lucas. Sorrowful. Burdensome. Staying awake at night, anxious about some stupid test. I still have nightmares sometimes. Did you ever have the nightmare where you didn't study for the test? And then here's the test. And what am I going to do? You ever had a job like this? Maybe you have a job like this. It keeps you up at night. 
Man, it dominates everything. Dominates your thinking. Even when I'm away from work, I'm at work. I can't just be with my wife. I can't just be with my kids. Just constantly grinding it out. Dominating everything. Every part. You can't enjoy the things that you've worked for because you're too stressed. And you're too hard at work for something else. We're the most successful people on the planet, yet the most anxious and depressed people on the planet in America. Boy, on that top ten list of drugs, it is heavily weighted towards antidepressants. I wonder why. Why is that? We work our brains out, man. We, we just work and work and work, and we think we're going to get there, and we never get there. You do this for 50 years, and at the end of it, what do you get? Maybe you get a plaque with your name on it. Congra- Thank you for your 50 years of service. Here is your plaque. And you think, that, what? Some of y'all don't even get a plaque. And what is this? A plaque. I spent every moment of the last 50 years giving to you and you give me a plaque. Solomon says this is your reward. For thinking your work will provide fulfillment. It's anxiety. You just get downsized. (laughs) That's right. Amen. Okay, there you go. (laughs) Anybody else want to testify this morning? (laughs) Suzanne says, I got a heart attack. Thank you. Because that's what Solomon says. He says, you get anxiety. You get stress. You get up every night of your life. You can't sleep. You have a heart attack. You might get a plaque. You might get downsized. That excitement that that might have been there at the beginning, it it fades pretty quick, doesn't it? Those of you that work, it's kind of gone pretty quick. It's vanity. It's absolute vanity. It looks great. It it looks like everything you've ever wanted. It looks like the answer to your dreams. But you get there and and all you can think is that you just want to be somewhere else. And worse, some will look around and the family is gone. And the relationships are bad. And the kids are an absolute mess and they don't even know their dad. But you've been grinding. You don't even know your children 
because work has become your God. And it started out like, oh, I just want to provide for my children. But it became your God. And you lost your children. You lost your relationships. You lost things that matter. What looked like your dream has, has become your nightmare. That's work. That's the mountain of work that all of us are climbing. Listen carefully here. There's no career, profession, job that will satisfy you. And that will bring you purpose and meaning that lasts in and of itself. It just won't. It can't. We get so caught up and we even really get really holy about it. Oh, God wants me to do this. I know He does. God wants me to do that. God is in this. And I'm not saying He doesn't have a specific career path for you, necessarily. He may very well. But let me say a couple of things on that. First of all, Sometimes we make our life a lot more complicated. We're trying to, oh, am I going to get the perfect career that really makes me tick? That, that where, where God wants me? Or at least that's what we say. Where God wants me. And sometimes it's best just to do what's in front of you and use your job as, as a means for, for ministry. Like, like Paul making tents. He had to make tents to fund the ministry, and so he made tents. It wasn't about, oh man, God, I just I wonder if I found my true calling in tent making. No, you haven't. And you can say the same for being a pharmacist or a dentist. Or a doctor, or a nurse, or an accountant. What else? Who else has a job in here? What, what are y'all? A personal trainer. You can say it for anything. A teacher. A Pokemon salesman. <laughs> oh, is this where the Lord wants me to be? I've, I finally found. I finally found what makes me tick. No, you haven't. Because if you found what makes you tick, it won't make you tick very long. And it might make your ticker go bad. No, you know, Paul just made tents because it was what's in front of him. And, and, and I'm sure that he, he proclaimed the gospel to his customers. And he made some money so he could fund what was eternally significant. Your job in and of itself is not eternally significant. I don't care what it is. Again, in and of itself. It doesn't matter what you do, people. 
yet that dominates us. Second thing I want to say about that is if traveling down that career path causes you to abandon your fellowship with Christ and your family for several years with the excuse that it'll all be better someday, do you really want to blame God for that? Now, jobs don't cause us to do anything, right? We still make choices. No matter how busy we are, no matter how demanding our jobs are, we still make choices. But if this, if this path you've chosen, whether you're in school, whether you're working, if this path you've chosen is draining everything that matters from you, Something's got to change, doesn't it? Well, what's it all for? We can so easily deceive ourselves into thinking that God is doing something that He, in fact, is not doing. That He is leading in a place that He is not leading. Now, He can still make good of it. That's how sovereign He is. And you can make a wrong turn and He will make such beauty out of it. Because He loves you. And He is sovereign. And He can do that kind of thing. But sometimes we blame God for our mistakes. We blame God. God's the reason that we're not spending time with God. He brought us down this career path. Oh, did He? Well, maybe he did, but certainly not at the expense of your relationship with him. Guys, hard work is a really good thing. And, and God created hard work even in the garden before sin. You know, that was Adam's job. Adam had a job to work the land, to take care of the animals, to have dominion. Working hard is good. But working hard is not ultimate. So someone might say, well, you know, I'll find something that lasts with my hard work uh, because I'm going to leave all my wealth to my family. That will last. Solomon says, we'll see about that. We'll see about that. And that's what verses 18 through 21 really Focus on the reality is that whatever you work for, you're going to have to leave behind to a person who may or may not be wise with it, he says. And even if they are wise, well, they haven't earned it. That was yours. That doesn't seem right. You still have no personal satisfaction. You don't have anything that lasts from that. Boy, Solomon lived this again more than anyone. When Solomon died, everything he had went to his foolish, foolish son, Rehoboam. And under Rehoboam, a foreign army came and took much of what Solomon had accumulated. I mean, they went from glory days to depression like that. 
Under Rehoboam, Israel ceased to exist as a united 12 tribes. That's when the split began, people. Israel and Judah. Right after Solomon. Rehoboam lost everything in his foolishness. All that Solomon worked for and worried about, gone in one generation. It's vanity to think that you'll make a lasting impact in any way with your work. That stings a little bit. I know. Me too. But in and of itself, the impact is just not there, guys. But we grind and we grind and we grind and we stress and we stress and we take the anxiety medication because we're so stressed. Thinking it'll, it'll all be better someday. And what do we miss out on? What are you missing out on because you're too fixed on this American dream? It's a temptation for all of us. Well, let's just take an honest look at, at your life, not the person beside you, your life and your family and ask, am I doing this right? Am I focused on the right things? Am I putting work in its proper place? And that brings us to our last point this morning. What is the proper place? And the point is the great gift. The great gift. And finally, we're going to see some good news here. Everybody, take a sigh. Take a, you know, let, let out that breath. After two chapters of, of misery, really, Solomon finally comes to some conclusions that, that lead us to real and, and lasting purpose. He says in verse 24, Nothing is better for a man than that he should eat and drink, and that his soul should enjoy, his, enjoy good in his labor. This also I saw was from the hand of God. For who can eat or who can have enjoyment? The NKJV says more than I. A better translation there, and yours might say this, is apart from him. For who can eat and who can have enjoyment apart from Him, apart from God, that is. There it is. Here's our take-home point this morning. At first glance, it might look like Solomon is saying that, well, we might as well just enjoy the pleasures of life because tomorrow we die. That's kind of the, the, the hedonistic creed, Right? Uh, but, but Solomon has already made clear that the mountain of pleasure in itself, it's vanity. So that's not what he's saying here. What he is saying is that, that when we put earthly things and earthly pursuits in their proper place, it is then and only then that we can truly get enjoyment and fulfillment from them. So you can get fulfillment from your job. But first you've got to put your job where it belongs. See, what we tend to do is, without thinking about it, we're not consciously doing this, but without thinking about it, we worship these things as ultimate, do we not? 
We worship career. We worship projects. We worship wealth. We worship knowledge. We worship spouses. We worship children. We worship ministry. We make all these things ultimate things. Oh, that's the thing that will give me what I need. And the more we try to make them fulfill every need that we have, the more miserable we become. The more broken our relationships become. Because people aren't meant to bear that kind of burden. The more emptiness we discover because stuff wasn't meant to bear that burden. What we think is going to be the cause of the fulfillment actually turns out to be the cause of great, great distress and grief and anxiety and depression. And the reason is because none of these things are designed to be God's. Rather, they are designed as great gifts from the one true God. In order to bring us joy and pleasure. And in order to lay at His feet for His glory. Life and all of its stuff is a gift to be used for the glory of the Creator. And what do I mean by that? Used for the, the glory of the Creator. It means that, that all these things are gifts that are supposed to invoke our worship of Him. It means that, that they're meant to show off His great character. To point to Him and His goodness, His mercy, and His love, and His grace, and His kindness, and His holiness. His perfect character. Our lives and, and, and the things and the pursuits of this life are to be used for His glory to make much of Him. And if you do anything else with them, you will not be fulfilled. They are gifts and not God's. They are means of worship, not ends in and of themselves. Nothing on this earth is. It's a great paradox, but the more we live with open hands, just being thankful. And using all we have for His glory, the more we find the fulfillment we've been searching for. This is going to be the big conclusion that Solomon's going to keep coming back to. This is not the first time you're going to hear this. We're going to come back again and again to this. And it's a theme throughout Scripture. Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians 10.31, Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the what? To the glory of God. Even the teeniest things matter. Eating and drinking matters. When they're done to the glory of God. 
how is that? How, how do we do that? It, how, what do you mean by that? What happens like asking questions like this? How do I use my best recipe to have a conversation about Christ with my neighbor? What if, what if I invited this, this struggling believer out to coffee? And we just sipped coffee for a while and I just tried to encourage him. Do you see how eating and drinking find more meaning? Whatever we do matters. Not because the thing in itself is so important. It's not. In in itself, it's just vanity. It's kind of meaningless. But because it's a gift from God to be enjoyed and to be used for the building of His kingdom, not mine. Peter says the same thing. Paul said in 1 Corinthians, Peter says it in, in, in 1 Peter 4, 11. He says, if anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Jesus said it too. He said it in this way in Matthew 5, 16. He said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. And what? Glorify your Father in heaven. The message of Scripture is consistent throughout. Purpose is found in pursuing the glory of God with the great gifts that He's given to us. So go get that degree. But not with selfish motivation. Ask how, how am I, how am I, before I do this, how am I going to use this for God's glory? And in the meantime, while I'm getting that degree, how am I going to use the people around me also pursuing that degree as a mission field? How am I going to stay in close connection with the only one that matters? And not make school my God. Because you will if you don't think about it. Get married if you desire. But first ask, how are we as a married couple going to pursue God's glory? And God's mission. Because if that's not what you're interested in, do not get married. I don't care what kind of feelings you have. Don't do it. Because the very thing that you think is going to be so fulfilling will become a prison to you. I do not speak from experience because I have the most amazing wife in this world. And a woman who is on mission with me And has been on mission with me since day one. Since I met her. And it's a beautiful thing, God. Marriage is so beautiful. But it's not ultimate. Our marriage works so well. Because we're more concerned about His purpose than our needs. 
That's it. That's the key. That's it. Skip all of premarital counseling. There it is. Don't skip it. <laughs> Come and sit down with us. Come and sit down with Paul and Stephen. They're doing it right. On mission together. That is how you do marriage. Ask yourselves, how will we treat God as God and each other as gifts from God? Not meant to fulfill my every need, but to be enjoyed and to be cherished. Go get the house. A lot of y'all are looking for houses still, right? The market. Mm, I'm sorry. But you know, when, it, when, when the time comes, go for it. Get the house. But, but when you're looking, be thinking. Guys, how, how does this house set us up to use it for ministry? Is that the first thing you're thinking when you go look at a house? It should be. How does it set me up for ministry? How does the location affect our ministry? Look for the details that make your house more ministry friendly, more gospel friendly. So that many would be saved and discipled in that house. Wouldn't that be awesome? It's not just a house. But it's not a God either. It's a gift. Maybe you do the project and you build the nice deck. Go for it. But do it for the glory of God, not to the glory of yourself. Host a small group on it. Disciple other believers on it. If you do it for yourself, your fulfillment will rot, just like that deck will ultimately rot. Go after that career path. But do it because you see what a mission field it is. Use your knowledge, education, skills for His glory, not for your ego. And if it means you take less money to do more for the kingdom, then take less money. And do it for the kingdom. It will be worth it. For some of you married couples, it may, and I say may, not will, but it may mean that one of you guys stays at home with the kids. And you make less money, and you have to live a different lifestyle. And if that's the way God is leading you, don't let the world tell you that that's not okay. How ridiculous. And don't let the world tell you that you're not accomplishing anything, Mom, because you're staying at home. Oh, you're accomplishing eternity, eternal things. Now, you can do that and not stay at home, too. But for some of you, that may be what you're thinking, and you're torn. And every one of us needs to stay home. Maybe you do. I don't know. But you see how when we get eternity involved, it informs everything. And it brings value to everything. Every little thing. Don't lose everything 
chasing your dreams at all costs. Ask God to reorient your dreams. How about that? Make them eternal dreams and live for those guys. Boy, this church family is a gift, isn't it? What a gift we've all been given, but rather than, you know, for leaders, we, 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 can, we can tend to hold on so tightly, you know, and try to, we, we need to control everything perfectly and it's got to go exactly right. As members, sometimes, you know, maybe you're thinking, well, well the church, I need to meet my every single need. They've got to be my God for me. Well, what if we just chilled out for a moment and just considered each other a gift? Gifts from God to be enjoyed. Man, I enjoy you guys. I enjoy your fellowship. I enjoy worshiping with you. I enjoy your encouragement. And sometimes things go wrong, and so what? Jeez, who cares? Let's get over it and see each other as gifts again. You know, that's how you get real unity. People aren't just people that need to meet your every need and that need to do everything perfectly. They're just gifts from God. And they have their own thing. You have your own thing. And what a gift it is. What a gift the body of Christ is. Oh, we've got a gift this week. In VBS, don't we? What a gift it is. Some of you have been working real hard, like, I don't know. I don't know if it's a gift right now. It is a gift. It's a precious gift from Christ to show the love of Christ to some kids this week. It's not an ultimate thing. If things go wrong, so what? It's okay. We'll be okay. You're not going to screw it up. But what a gift it is. So let's do our best this week to, one, love each other really well. And two, love those children really well. That's it. If we will do that, it will be such a successful, wonderful week. And the Lord will multiply the fruit to something we can't imagine, I believe. I'm excited about it. When we live with open hands viewing all of God's gifts as gifts and not God's. And we use them for His glory. And that is where fulfillment is found. That's where freedom is found. That's where everything suddenly matters. Every moment matters because it's attached to the eternal one. And He's eternal. He matters forever. And that's where I don't have to worry about every little decision. And if I'm going to screw up everything, if I'm going to mess up my life, I don't have to worry about that. I can pray and seek God's will and then act knowing that He is the giver, that He loves me and that He will work all things out for your good and for His glory. Whatever is in front of me, I'll view it as a gift to use for His glory. God's sovereignty is such a comforting and freeing thing for us. Get acquainted with it. It's beautiful.
His control is not an attack on us. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing for us. He is so wise and holy and powerful. I won't say much on this now. We will in time. And I hesitate to even mention it, but I think it must be mentioned that sometimes even our suffering and pain, it's a gift from God. And that's a hard thing to say with very little context. But even our suffering and pain can be a good gift from God because He loves you too much to leave you where you are. And with this perspective, this kind of open hand perspective, we can even see pain as something God is working for our good, for His glory. We can take all that life gives us. Good, the good times, man, you're going to have great times, you're going to have really low times. And we can take all of it, and we can see it as a gift, and we can lay it at His feet. How do we use this for your glory? Whatever it is. How do I use it for your glory? Much more on that suffering aspect in in, in later sermons. But even our pain is a gift to be used for His glory. We could go on and on, but I'd really need to wrap it up. And we'll wrap it up with verse 26. Solomon says, God gives wisdom and knowledge and joy. Boy, don't you want that. Wisdom and knowledge and joy to a man who is good in his sight. Uh Uh-oh. We got a problem there. The man who is good in his sight. Now, if you know your Bible, that's a very bad thing because there's no one good in his sight. There's none righteous. No, not even one. So who is the one who is good in his sight? Who is it that makes us pleasing in his sight. And of course it is his son. Right? It is Jesus. Who makes us pleasing in his sight. Who has left heaven. To live this life. Of the same toil. And, and hard work. And strife. And struggle. And ups and downs. He left perfection. To live that. And he's chosen to take upon himself. Our sin. And nail it to the cross. Taking the wrath of God against our sin. And taking it himself. Praise God that he did that. Amen. He took our wrath that we fully deserve. And then he declared, it is finished. It is finished. Sin is atoned for in him. and, and, And in him alone. For those who believe on his name. That's why Paul can say in 1 Corinthians. He says your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Your labor is in vain. But not if it's in the Lord. Oh nothing's in vain there. None of your hard work is in vain. If it's in the Lord. If it's to his glory. Amen. Verse 26 says, For the sinner, it says that God gives him the work of gathering and collecting, that he may give to, one, to him who is good before God. 
See, for those who will not receive Jesus as a Savior and Lord, they will struggle and, and, and strive on this earth, and they will try to find this, this meaning and purpose, and, and they may have some earthly gain. But ultimately, this world is passing away, and it is the meek who shall inherit the earth. We as believers, as co-heirs with Christ, we will someday reign with Him over this earth. All that the sinner works for will be passed on to the righteous eventually. That is the sure fate of, of the one without Jesus. You cannot take it with you and it will not fulfill here. It's just vanity and grasping for the wind to stay in your sins this morning and to shake your fist at God and to say, I don't want you what you have to offer. He offers everything. Everything that means anything is found in Christ this morning. I pray that's not you this morning saying those things. And we're all sinners and we're all in need of a Savior. I'm going to ask the band to, to come, on, come on back up. We're all sinners. And we're in, in need of a Savior to pay our sins. The question is, will you receive His free gift of salvation this morning? Or will you continue to run the experiments that Solomon's taken us from for, through? Will you continue to search for purpose everywhere but in Christ? I'll leave you with this verse, Psalm 16, verse 11. It says, you will show me the path of life. This is God speaking to. In your presence is fullness of joy. Fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. A beautiful, beautiful verse. Guys, God doesn't want, us, want to strip us of pleasure and fun. Rather, everything good and pleasurable on this earth is given as a gift to be enjoyed. Even our work. And in heaven, someday, will be pleasures forevermore. Pleasures forevermore. He's not here to restrict us, but to free us forever from our bondage to sin. And give us fullness of joy. And even the mundane little things of life you can have joy so will you come this morning uh, through repentance repentance of your sin and faith in him if that's you this morning i'm going to ask you to everyone to bow your heads and, and close your eyes if that's you this morning you say you know what i'm tired of running these experiments i'm not finding it i want jesus It is in Jesus. And He invites you to come this morning. And you come through telling Him, Lord, I'm sorry for my sin. I have rebelled against You. I have made myself Your enemy. As You were everything good, yet I've run from You. Please forgive me. Forgive me on the basis of the cross. And Lord, now I, I, I turn from that sin and that pursuit 
And I want to pursue you. You be my Lord now. The Bible says if you will truly mean that, and you don't have to say those particular words, but if your heart truly means that this morning, then He is faithful and just to forgive you, to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And in Him you are made perfect. You are made righteous. And you'll spend eternity with Him someday. For believers, as we close during the song of invitation, let's ask ourselves, is there anything in my life other than Christ that I am making the ultimate thing? The more we do that, the more miserable we become. And the more we find that fulfillment is not there in and of itself. Let's end with that question to dwell on this morning. Is Christ truly my prize and my ultimate reward? How would my life answer that question? I'll leave you with that to consider. And then we'll we'll close out in a song.